Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. Six minutes after two. Thank you so much for staying with us. Now, we are told that the compensation fund stopped paying people. That was back in uh, September 1999. The question is, why is that happening? Others are saying, no, the problem is not money, as you would assume. Other things are going on there. Um, One hint is that if you go to the website, things don't quite work the way they're supposed to be working there. We've got two guests, uh, Michael Bechreim, who is a labor lawyer, and I believe also is a DA um, uh, counselor as well. I will just get that corrected. Terry Bell is also joining me on the line, who's a labor analyst. So thank you both very much for joining us. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Michael, let me just correct uh, w- w- one little fact. I know that you're with the DA, but what's your position at the DA? I'm an MP. I'm the Shadow Minister of Labour. Fantastic. All right, so let's start with you, Michael. You're saying that lots and lots of people are sending you messages. These are doctors, practitioners and so on, saying they haven't been paid since last year, September. What's going on? Well, it goes back a lot further than that. In fact, we've had a, a dysfunctional compensation fund for approximately 15 years now. Uh, we used to have a computer system called, uh, I, th- I don't pronounce it correctly, but it's an Eklecho, uh system um, that was supposed to be functional. It never, ever got functional. People weren't paid for many years. The real sufferers are the people that got injured at work. They're the people that have been suffering for literally two decades. All right. Um, sometimes they get paid and sometimes they don't. When you say we used to have that system, does it mean the system has changed? Yes, they've implemented approximately a year ago the SAPS um, system. Uh, SAP, sorry, it was a German, it's a German system. They've spent literally dozens of millions of rands implementing this and it looks like no one is able to actually function. I don't know if the SAP engineers have given them proper training or there's something wrong. And in fact, where it got to a head was in September 2019, just no one got paid at all. Nothing. And all right. Of it, now you can imagine. I'm assuming now, let me just get back to you, Terry Bell, Labor Analyst, joining us also on the line. I'm assuming that w- when the system was changed, was this some sort of way of admitting to the fact that the other one wasn't working? Well, it's about time they admitted it. I mean, I, I wrote about this, I can't even remember, it seems to be about 10 years ago. I was looking at something I wrote five years ago, complaining about this complete disaster. Millions were spent and never actually accounted for. And in fact, as, as Michael Begum will know, I mean, this has been raised in, in Parliament as well. The Parliamentary Portfolio Committee, the Auditor General, has raised the issue of the total bungling incompetence at, at the, the, the Commission. The... Um, over years, you've had, I've dealt with individual cases of people who've been waiting five to ten years for their payments, for legitimate injuries at work. I mean, it's, it's, this is, as Michael correctly says, it's 15 years it's been in the, in the making. And I'm afraid I, I just gave up in the end because I used to try and phone them to get through and I could never even get through on the telephone. All right, it's important for us to tell everybody who's listening that the compensation fund was obviously given a right of reply. They've rejected that. We've also been reaching out to the Department of Labor. Nothing there too. Terry Bell, let me ask you this question. What In, in, the, in a perfect world, how should the system actually work? Just take us from beginning. So you get injured at work and, and what happens there? Well, the point is, if you get injured at work, you put in a claim, but your employer has to, and that's another problem, that many of the cases, they also had a situation, I'm not sure if this will work, and Michael Bacon may know, but they actually had people working on commission on the number of cases that they managed to complete. So if there was a complicated case, which meant, for example, that an employer hadn't put in the verification of the claim, Mm -hmm. they simply put that aside in what was called a T-file. Okay. Now, at one stage, there were I knew of 180,000 T-files. So, so, so hi, just, ha- just help problems. me out, Terry. Who's they? So th- this would be the oh, compensation the, the, fund? The people within the compensation commission, Got you. the officials there who were supposed to deal with the claim. Mm-hmm. If, if, if a claim was too difficult, well, appeared to be difficult because an employer perhaps hadn't put in the verification, they put it into a folder called a T-file. And these T-files mounted up tens of thousands to 180,000 at one stage that I knew of. And they just lay there. 
and I believe now there are more than a quarter of a million files that are a backlog going back many years. Okay, so, so let's again get back to the patient. You get injured at work, then your employer is supposed to submit this form into the compensation fund. What happens immediately? So I get injured right now. I need medical attention right now. What happens there? You go and, Well, you have your medical attention, but the point is you put in a claim and your employer verifies that. And there should be, I mean, there are arguments too about the sort of claims. I mean, for example, if a guitarist loses a finger, um, that's a major injury. You can't just say, and, and they would then say, well, if a, a person who doesn't use their hands and loses a finger, that's a minor injury. And they used to regard that as minor injuries. They just look at an injury, not the occupation. Okay. So yeah, there were all these problems. So, so the detail for me is important there because if doctors are saying that they're, they're almost running, you know, out of money, I want to understand that cash flow, how that money works. So if you go and get injured today, you go to the doctor today, you are expected to pay out of your own pocket, correct? No? By and large, unless the doctor is prepared to take it. But Michael will tell you that. Yes, go ahead, yeah, Michael. Can I step in? I'll tell you on a technical basis. And first of all, Terry, I, I need to salute you because, in fact, I became aware of this problem, and you're wrong. You wrote about it 20 years ago. <laughs> Um, it was just, I think it might have even Sorry, been a little I longer. I could go through all my files. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry wrote an article in one of the local Cape newspapers about 20 years ago, and I picked it up and then actually picked up the cudgels at that point. It was long before I was involved with Parliament. But since being involved with Parliament, I've now got very involved. Now, let me explain exactly how it technically happens. Yeah, I want to uh, follow all, the every, money. Let's follow every the money. Single, every single employer has to register all their employees through the UIF, and automatically through workman's compensation. Obviously, in South Africa, we have a lot of employers that just don't do that, and they illegally employ people by not registering them for the Unemployment Insurance Fund and the Workman's Compensation Fund. Gotcha. And then the, then people got problems because they got to try and get registered post facto. But let's presume the employee is registered with UIF and Workman's Compensation. They get injured at work, and they get immediately taken through to a hospital. Mm -hmm. Any hospital, obviously the closest one, yep. because the injury might have been serious. The hospital then gets this letter from the employer and the form, and the hospital says, all right, we'll take you in, the doctors will take you in and see you, and we in turn as the hospital will claim from the fund. Okay. At the same time, the employer has to pay the employee's salary for a period of three months from the employer's pockets. So the employee okay. ostensibly is covered. M Michael, if it's not the hospital, so in other words, if it's not a government hospital or a hospital and you're literally walking into a private practice doctor, yes. what happens there? Well, it's, the textbook tells you that they walk into the private practice. You go and you say, hello, um, Dr. Smith. Mm -hmm. um, this is what's happened to me. Here's a letter that I've been, I'm an employee. Here's my letter from my employer. Here's my claim number. See me. The doctor will see you saying, don't worry, I'll claim from the fund. Okay. What's happening now is that most of those private doctors and hospitals, and it goes against their oath, I must tell you, most of them are saying, I haven't been paid for literally for years. I'm going bankrupt. I can't see you. I need to refer you to a public hospital, which, of course, puts more pressure on the public hospitals who are under pressure in any, any event. And so Unless you can pay. It, Correct. And effectively what's happening is slowly but surely the entire medical profession is saying this is not working. Okay. Let's go back again, Terry, to you. There are, because of the way the system has been functioning or not functioning, we've set up now agencies. I'm going to call them agencies. You'll give me the right term. People who intermediate between the employer and the hospital who've now been funding this this backlog, correct? Who are those people? Do you mean the, the case that they brought in in 2014, the Rand Mutual Assurance, the, the iron and steel yes. industry? Yes. That's the mining companies. That's, that's actually because we actually had a separate uh, entity for mine workers, and it was run by the mining companies, which actually uh, their, their system, to my mind, was a little bit, well, a great deal more transparent than, than the... Um, than the one, but it effectively meant that the workman's compensation, a large section of it, I'm not sure what percentage, probably about 10, I think, percentage of that ended up being privatized. So what we yes. had was a state fund before, now got transferred to Rand Mutual Assurance. Yep. Um, and as far as I know, that's as far as it's gone so far. 
but um, it's, it's a worry because, I mean, what's happened to the money? I mean, there have been a number of cases that have been reported over the years. Uh, it's the whole situation being complicated by fraudulent claims, by internal fraud within, within uh, the Compensation Commission. It's, it's a mess. But, you know, I know I have one figure I found when I was quickly going through these things. In 2011, there was 28 billion rand in assets uh, in the fund, but they only paid out 800 million. So, you know, there, there should be quite a lot of money sloshing around somewhere unless it's been lifted somewhere. Isn't that, I mean, for me, that's the concern, Michael. It's unlike yeah. saying there, there is no money. The fund doesn't have money. The fund actually has money. The question yeah, is, me, where me. is this money going? Let me step in. In yep. fact, the fund is so dysfunctional, mm. and Terry will be shocked to hear this, that it's so dysfunctional you can't even steal it because they don't know how to get the money out um, because the <laughs> computer system hasn't been working. But in 2011, there was a certain sum of money. I must tell you today, it's just over 70 billion rand invested in the PIC, and that's part of the money that Kasatu wants to put its hands on to start paying back for the loans to ESCOM and to SAA and to use that money which in fact is supposed to be there for the UIF and for workmen's compensation and in fact we've always had more than adequate funding we in fact in South Africa in terms of funding for injury at work is probably the best in the world um, we have put away so much money that we can actually handle a disaster let's say this coronavirus arrives at the workplace in South Africa and I don't panic it hasn't it probably won't but if it does, and many people, thousands and thousands of people, millions of people, then go to the UIF and say, I need to draw money because I'm ill, we should have more than enough money in that fund to cover all of them if only we could actually do the physical function of paying them out. And that's where the problem lies. We're actually not able to pay people out. We don't know how. And just, Terry, to tell you that I had a fellow a few months back that contacted me in Port Elizabeth who's been trying to get his money out for 21 years. Wow. He's had his 21st oh. birthday of, of the initial claim. And, and that's how bad it is. But I must also, you know, we can shout and scream, but we must also praise some people. The new commissioner of the Workmen's Compensation Fund, Mr. Vuyo Mufata, is yeah. actually a gem. Uh, he's trying to kill that backlog. He's moving quite quickly in terms of settling as many claims as he can physically on a weekly basis. And every time I've written a list of names through to Mr. Mafata with the claim numbers, he has got back to me and actually sorted those cases out. So a shout out to Mr. Mafata, um, because it's all very well to blame and to shout, but a shout out to him that he has been doing a jolly good job. Well, it can't be jolly. I'm sorry. It cannot be jolly if you're only addressing the cases that you bring in because you are a threat. You are the opposition party. That cannot be good enough. And also, go ahead. I mean, the point is here, you've had previous commissioners too who have tried to do their best. But as an individual, and I, I suspect that William Parker is going to find himself in the same boat, that because of the total... Um, incompetence and basically the fact that their computer systems have never worked and for whatever reason I do not know because it's perfectly simple to set up a computer system and there must be some sort of shenanigans going on there that I wouldn't know about. The point is that we've had commissioners in the past and they've had to leave as well. They just couldn't take the pressure anymore. And I hope, I hope it's not going to happen with William Park. So, so let's talk about this because now we've isolated the fact that it's, it's not him. He didn't arrive at the problem. He arrived. He understood the problem. He's been quite frank actually about it on the press mm. about where the problem lies. He says the State Information Technology Agency has almost failed them. Let's talk about that. What's the problem? Well, I think... If I can just jump in there, yeah. I, I think that the problem is still the incompetency of the staff on the ground, not at the top. The people at the top are now good. They're trying. You're absolutely right. You can't have one man solving uh, 50,000 cases a month. It's just not going to happen. And yes, when Michael Bagram writes in, um, then he says, okay, let me have a look at this and focus. Now, you can't have one man and one man talking to each other. Um, you know, when Michael speaks to Voyo, the case gets sorted out, but you can't do 50,000 cases. You can do 10 cases a week, and that's what I've been doing. But the point I'm getting at is the staff are rotten right through, and he's got to start having a look at that. He has now got a good computer system 
The problem is, can anyone work it? Um, SAP is a very complicated German-based system, which costs uh, probably half a billion rand. It is a, a system that is run through Anglo. I think a couple of the big corporates are using it. The problem is we need people who can run it, and I'm not sure if the engineers from SAP have trained our people adequately to be able to step in and take it over. And as Terry tells you, we've got thousands upon th hundreds of thousands of cases in a backlog, and that can bog down any system. It's not, it's not a simple computer system. I mean, I, I can't even work a cell phone, but you can imagine how complicated SAP is. You know, I'm I'm almost about to say, gentlemen, let's really get to what really the problem is. Because if from one system to the other, we still talk about the system, which has changed. And if it was the system, surely year two into the system, we understand that the system is a problem. We fix it. It cannot be 20 years later that we're still referring to the system as a problem. So I'll ask you, Terry, you've been at it for a while. What actually is the problem? Well, the problem is uh, the people who've been handling things, and I, I'm not sure if they've changed the, the, the system outside of the computer system, and that is the, the personnel system, mm. where individual officers within the, within the Workmen's Compensation Commission were being paid bonuses on the number of cases they dealt with successfully. Now, if that is still the case, that is... Ah. I wrote about that. It was terrible. I see what you because mean. What it meant was they took only the so-called easy cases, oh, ones see. that could be quickly be processed. Anything that was a bit of a problem that would take more time, they simply shunted aside and added to the backlog. L let me just and get that, that one clear, Terry. Are, are you saying that people were rewarded for just doing their job? Are you saying that there was an extra sort of commission paid on top of what they were earning because cases were successful? It was an incentive payment. I mean, the, th the thinking behind it is very simplistic, but you can actually understand it. If you do your job really well, you do 10 cases a day, I'm not, you know, just for argument's sake, instead of an average of five, you do 10 cases a day, you will be rewarded. So the point is that there was a reward for pr processing more cases. Therefore, the incentive is not to process more cases. The incentive is to look for the easiest cases to process. But, and but that's what actually happened. But, but then, Michael, just correct me if I'm wrong. If that's the case, then you would want to be incentivized for, for actually stop getting a backlog. But you're telling me that the backlog is so massive. In other words, it didn't work either way. No, it certainly didn't. And I don't think the incentive scheme actually exists anymore. Uh, I think what we've got now is that we've got people who, uh, there's, there's still people that are stealing. There's still people that are staying away from work. There's still people who are incredibly lazy. Um, the uh, Even the, the hotline that you've got when you phone, no one answers it. Uh, we've still got incompetence riddled right through the system. Um, and I, I know that senior management have for years now been trying to reach down to the bottom to the to the people that actually answer the phone. But it doesn't seem to be working at all. The system is riddled with incompetence. And Terry's right, it, it's, a, it's a people function. It's a problem that uh, mail doesn't get answered. It's a problem that when businesses actually who have been claiming don't get paid for six months, I've got one now that about to close down, they went, they're going bankrupt because they've been seeing patients for over a year now and they haven't been paid for that year. They can't actually afford to keep their doors open. They've got to close their doors. When the money's there, there's money, as you, as you heard, there's a mountain of money that's there. So it means that there are people on the other side of the line that are just not doing their job. All right. Both of you have said we've had very competent commissioners take uh, take the position there of commissioner, one of which is Mr. Vuyo Mafata right now. If you keep sending cases directly to the man, surely he knows that further down people are not doing their jobs. Why can't they sort that out? I think they've no. all found this to be the case. And then they've tried to move. And I think certain people felt they were very entrenched. They were properly connected perhaps um, we had a lot of that sort of thing that happened in terms of deployment of, of friends relatives etc and cater deployment too in terms of, of political appointments so I think there's been uh, we've had a, a history of this problem 
And I think that we need now radical, people need to go in and look at it radically and say, look, we've got to clean this thing up. We've got to clean it up properly from top to bottom and incentivize people properly, make them feel that they're doing a worthwhile job for people who are suffering, people who are injured, widows whose husbands have died, they have no income coming in, not been paid, not been paid out through the compensation which they qualify for. We need to incentivize people to realize that this is actually a socially worthwhile job that they're doing, not just somewhere that you're drawing a, a salary or maybe fiddling a bit on the side. Let's take your calls, 891 We'll also take those WhatsApp notes, 614 There's an SMS that came through. It says, do they get court orders to enforce payments? Has, are, there, are there lawyers like that, like you have at the, at the um, road accident fund? Absolutely. There are lawyers, and they are getting court orders against them. And in fact, on one occasion, that the court order was granted, they even got the deputy sheriff to go and attach the bank account of the Workman's Compensation wow. Fund, and they let it go. In other words, only at that, at the death of that, and I can imagine because it takes sure. about two years to get a court order. Uh, so you can imagine how the people suffered. We're talking about the most vulnerable people in South Africa, people who were working, paid loyally into the UIF and Workman's Compensation for many years, get injured, can't work anymore, stuck at home wherever they are, the poorest of the poor, and they got insurance, but they get nothing out. And they then have to go to a lawyer, and a lawyers are notoriously expensive. Lawyers are also slow. You know, they're like dinosaurs. So now it takes two years to get through the courts. You eventually get a court order, and then the workman's compensation still does nothing. They don't even bother to appeal it. They just leave it, and they wait for the deputy sheriff to arrive and then attach. And only then do they wake up and say, okay, we'll pay you now. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The Director General of the Department of Employment and Labor is fully aware. I write to them on a daily basis. They're fully aware of hundreds of these cases that come through my office. Mr. Mafata, I know, is can't, he's like trying to stop the wind with his hands. Um, and uh, you get some genuine people, but the system cannot be upheld by one person, by two people, or by a thin layer at the top. The bottom line is it needs a complete reshuffle. People need to have a look at it with a jaundiced eye and say we're going to cut out a lot of the bad people over here that just aren't helping South Africans. Terry, is that feasible? What exactly actually needs to happen to get this right? I, I think you need, as Michael says, it's correct, the clean broom sort of thing. You need to go in there and say, right, let's do a complete assessment of this thing and a rapid one. By who? If, 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 if the DG is aware, if the commissioner is aware, so at high well, level, if you've got buy-in on the fact that we've got to sort this out, everybody agrees and still things are not working out, who is that person or entity that's actually going to get it right? You're never going to get it right unless they are prepared to act, unless the DG is prepared to act, unless the minister is prepared to act, unless the Department of Labor and the government, the cabinet itself, needs to act and say, look, we've had enough of this. But, of course, nothing happens, nothing will happen until someone decides to do something. But we appear to have a sort of hiatus here where no one is prepared to move. I do not know why. I think it may be because there are so many factional battles going on and you don't know who's on which side or what uh, within, the, within the governing party. You don't have anyone on the outside who's capable of doing it. This has to happen within the governing uh, regime. It has to happen within government. And unless it does happen, we're just going to go from bad to worse. Well, we've already gone from bad to worse. We'll just get even worse. I will take those calls, 891 Your take on this matter. Maybe you are yourself waiting for a claim to be paid out. I'll take those responses after this. It's now 2.30. Let's go to Uzi Lesaku for the latest in headlines. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. What we're discussing this afternoon on the audit is what is happening at the compensation fund. It is said that we thought um, that they had stopped paying out uh, since September, but it turns out it's been a backlog dating, what, 20 years, I think somebody said. I mean, I don't know how true that is, but it, apparently this this entity has been a problem for a while. And we've been listening to really what's at the center of the problem. It, at one point, we're hearing it's a system, an IT system. And then at another point, we're hearing it's a people problem. 
I'm trying to get to Michael Bahrain. Let me just start with that. Um, he's a Labour lawyer. He's also a DAMP. And uh, Terry Bell is also joining me. He's a, a Labour analyst. Michael, let me ask you this. If if all of us are putting our heads together and we're saying we, we, we kind of understand that things have to change. Leadership says that they understand things have to change, but things are not quite changing. And we've also asked... Why aren't things changing? We've said it's because there is no movement. The question is to you, Michael, why do you think that Parliament's not acting on this? Why do you think there isn't real action being taken at the very highest level? Well, look, let me, let me tell you, there has been action in the sense that uh, Kosato and it looks like now the ANC are pushing to grab that money to bail out SAA and ESCOM. So there's action. It's not really the action that we all want. It's not the action that actually helps out the people that are injured and the doctors who haven't been paid and the employers that haven't been paid. So that's some. So when there's a will, then you can have very quick action. Within one week, you can say, let's grab 60 billion rand here. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice chicken to pluck. Are but you saying that maybe there is a deliberate delaying of payment so that that, that, that kitty remains fat so that we can use that money for something else? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying they weren't able to do it. They were incompetent to be able to do the payments okay. up until now. And and when you say 20 years, I said 20 years and I tell you I have proof okay. that it is 20 years because I've got many claims that are 20 years in the claiming so but, in my office. So I won't mention their names yes. because obviously that those people will be unhappy about that. But I have proof. Uh, now, we have to answer a question, and I think it's a political one, mm. why hasn't it been sorted out? Minister Ulifant had letters delivered by hand from me. She had emails from me. She, I was cross-examining her at portfolio meetings. I spoke to her on the floor in Parliament. Uh, so Minister Ulifant, at the time, who was the Minister of Labour, knew full well and yet did sweet blow all. Absolutely nothing. You're a politician, Within, Michael. Tell me your conspiracy yeah. theory. Why do you think that's the case? I, I don't know. I really, uh, never mind conspiracy theory, I actually can't even make one up. Because who would want to punish someone that's at home ill? That doesn't make any sense at all. So the uh, only thing I can say is that maybe she didn't have the stomach to start fishing out people and firing them and pushing them out. Maybe she didn't have that. I don't know. Only the minister can tell us, and she never did tell us. So I can't actually accuse her of a conspiracy, but what I can accuse her of is inaction, because that that's obvious to everyone. We then got a new minister, yeah. a new minister you know, of would, Labor, um, sorry. employment. Sorry. <laughs> no, I would actually say, you see, the point is it is a lack of political will. But the, and I don't see any conspiracy in this at all, and there's a degree of incompetence, but it's also a fact that because the government has these huge problems, ESCOM being a major one at the moment, without electrical power, without power, we are finished as a nation. I mean, you can't run anything without electrical power. As anyone knows, if you sit here and your computer goes down and you have no uh, cell phone contact, your landline goes down, etc. Restaurants, little shops, etc. are going to the wall because of that. ESCOM is a major problem. Then you've got SAA. Now, we can go back and point fingers and say who was to blame and who ripped off what and all that. We know about all that. The point is these are major problems, and I suspect that, you see, it's a lot easier to ignore the individual. Some poor worker who lost a hand, right, is not going to be major headlines like ESCOM. ESCOM's our big worry. Let's sort out ESCOM. We haven't got time to worry about this stuff here. The fact that there's the money there, yes, as Michael mentions, I mean, um, the PIC, the, the, the Public Investment Corporation, which handles pension funds, etc., does have workmen's compensation about 70 billion as part of its 2 trillion rand um, asset base. And of course, when you're stuck for money as a government, it's always tempting to dip into, if you can, the pension funds. But I don't think that's necessarily got anything to do with it. I think the point is that there's been so much political infighting, and at the same time, so many major, seen as really major problems that you don't worry. The fact that there are hundreds of thousands of people are the poorest of the poor. They're not together. They're not there. At, they're not flying to Durban or going overseas. They're not cutting, taking load shedding. You don't see them. They go away and they die. 
And but the point is, it's a lot easier than to ignore them. Particularly with you, Michael, surely one understands that these people are a constituency, right? So if you are a political party and you know that by, by judging from the numbers, this, this is a lot of people. Um, I've got lots of SMSs coming through here. One would understand that if you've got a lot of these people disgruntled, you are messing around with votes. Or is it not that simple, Michael? It's not that simple because Kasatu is not actually representing them because they're not employees anymore. They, they're at home in sick beds. Um, the ANC is not representing them because they're just not paying them at all. So who's speaking for the... The sick, lame, lazy, unemployed, who's speaking for them? Um, and quite frankly, I felt often standing at the portfolio committee that I was some sort of lone voice and everyone looked at me as a bit of a crank, uh, so, quite frankly, because I kept shouting. We've got thousands of people who are sitting at home at sick who actually don't have any bread on their table, let alone medicine. So well, I admit I gave that up as well. My point was, and this is why when you contacted me to speak about this, I said I've turned my back on it because I just, sheer frustration, I gave up mm. on following it through. Because, you see, the trouble is that these are people are individuals. They're not organized. Mm. They don't go marching on Parliament. They're scattered. They're at Iduchwa or they're in Rumtato or they're up in Rustenburg or wherever, in individuals, in, in shacks somewhere here or there or Dipsuit or whatnot. And, and they, they don't have a, really have a united voice. So it is easy to ignore them. And often maybe by this point, maybe disabled and so on, have other things on their table. Here are SMSs, and this brings to, to that point that you just spoke about there, Michael, uh, around the unions. The SMS says, when does the trade unions come in if their employees cannot be compensated when that is due to them? Um, and and does it is it really that blunt, the fact that if they've stopped working, they're no longer useful to the unions? Yeah, because they're not members of the union. Unions never speak. A union is a business like any other business. They make their money from their membership, and they answer to their membership. As soon as someone is at home, finished work, been dismissed because of ill health, they're not a union member. You don't speak on behalf of your non-members. And nowhere in the world do you see that. It's not just a South African trait. Unions speak on behalf of their membership. And so Kosatu, and I'm blaming them very, very much so because they've been at the forefront of this, they keep very quiet about the problems that we're experiencing with the fund. There are one or two individuals that come forward and, and speak about it, and I know now Mr. Vavi's just started speaking about it, but it's, I, I must admit I've shouted at him myself. Because I'm saying this is not just my task. I'm one person, but the unions have got a big constituency and they refuse to speak upon any platform for their ex-members. And it's their ex-members that are the worst off in this country. They really need medication. They really need some sort of help. They can't go out and help themselves. And families, quite frankly, are stretched. For every employee we know... Um, some people calling it the black tax. In other words, for every employee, you've got 10 people to look after. And, and the problem that you've got with that is then when you've got someone that's ill in the family, that's been injured at work and rightly should be getting his, his, his dues, his uh, monies that he's insured for, now all of a sudden the employed one has to go out and buy medicine for that person and maybe not be able to get food for the next. Let, let me, and so we've got a real problem. Yeah, let's take calls 0891 Your experiences with the Empowerment Fund, are you one of those people who's waiting to be paid out? Here's an SMS. It says, Pamela, will you please invite the ex-minister's pension fund manager to come and tell us why it takes such a long time to pay us? I applied three times since 2014. I'm 70 years old. This is from Saki. Anyone want to respond to that? I know that they're not here. They've, they did get an invite and nobody agreed to the invite. So, Terry, Michael, one of you can respond to that. Well, what I will say quite simply is to go back to that union thing. Unions have a duty, I believe, to follow up on these things. And in fact, in the early days they did. And there are some unions now that are breaking away in other parts of the world who are organizing workers who, when they fall ill, still remain part of the union and they follow through. Michael is perfectly correct. Too many of the unions have become businesses in their own right, bureaucratic, right down the line, with an elite ruling them. 
and not really caring. Most of them also don't require only so much from subs from the members. They have investment companies and, and they, they live off that as well. So the point is we have to, they need to get back to basics. And unions should actually follow through, not just on the members who are injured, because sometimes it will be a worker who's not unionized, doesn't know about it, but he's a worker nonetheless. And I think that definitely unions have a duty to follow through on these things. Can I just step in? Yep. With this listener that's now turned 70 and hasn't got the pension, mm. there is a pension ombudsman, and that might be a, a route because I think that pension ombudsman uh, has been very useful for me um, to actually put in individual claims, and, and the pension ombudsman would then look at it and focus on that individual claim. Um, and so this doesn't sort out South Africa, but it will sort out that listener. Um, so just as a tip, that's what I would do. We have some yeah. very, very good ombudsmen in, in, in various industries, but there is one in the pension industry that is highly functional. Here's my concern, gentlemen. Um, you, Terry, apparently have been at it for about t- 20 years or so. <laughs> Michael says he's got the facts in front of him. If, if we wanted to see them, he can show them to us. Um, we sit here today where it has now come to a complete standstill. It's not sort of only one at a time being paid out. It's come to a complete standstill. Terry, you said you turned your back on this. What are we no, supposed no. to do now? What I, what I did was I, I became so frustrated, and there were so many other things. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a one-man band. Yes. So I, I in terms of, of journalism, and so I concentrated on other areas, and I never didn't sure. come back in recent times to that because every time I tried, I, I just hit a brick wall. And I thought someone somewhere is going to do something. People like Michael asking questions all the time. Very good. I thought, right, they will go. You used to have a group in Pretoria with a woman called Bula Rolnik who um, used to constantly sit on, on the workman's compensation. Hammer what what was, she? Is, was, she a, well. was she? Was she a journalist? So, what was she? Sorry? What was she? Was she a journalist? She was uh, the uh, Labor Resources Center okay. in, in Pretoria. All right. Now, the point is that they, and they just no longer exist now because, mm. and we have a situation where we've reached a, a position in this country where we have a series of crises. And unless we face up to them, and this is one of them, and it's a very serious one, and it, something has to be done. I'm so pleased that you're running this as a program because at least people may hear about it. We might uh, get the unions, perhaps, because they're an organized unit within the, the working class, who will now do something about it and begin to demand that someone gets in there, shakes the whole thing up and straightens it out because we have to. If we do not, we'll just have more and more suffering. Can I, Go can ahead, I step yes. in? Yep. Um, we, we have a, um, a band of three. It's like the three musketeers. I've been joined by the Honorable Hinana and the Honorable Cardo. And so the three of us are now grabbed this and we're trying to do a concerted arrow point to try and get in to find out where the actual glitch is and how can we get to the end of it. We have asked the Minister of Employment and Labour for an appointment to discuss this, uh, just this topic. Uh, We haven't had a response. I asked two months ago and I've asked twice and to his face I've asked as well and he promised he's going to sit us down. The Director General is also willing to sit with us and to see if he can investigate to see where the issue is. I know that Mr. Mafata is fully aware of all my problems, um, and all three of us, Hinana and Kada and myself, have actually now got to the top to say, guys, we really need to find out what the real issue is. It doesn't help, well, it helps in a small sense that every time someone phones Bagram's office um, that we can sort that person out, but like mm-hmm. you said, that, that becomes a starfish issue. You know, you're throwing one starfish back into the sea, but there are millions on the beach. And, and the problem is we do have millions on the beach that are starved of oxygen. And I'm hoping, and I haven't given up, and I've made it an issue now, my personal issue, that I've actually got to get to the end of where the real problem is, what's the bottleneck, can we unhitch it, and can we start getting this to flow? Like you said, there's money. Money's not the issue. Often in government circles, or in fact, every other department I know of has got a monetary problem, but here there's no monetary problem. And we've got a nice new 
shining uh, computer system. It's probably the best in the world. So what is the real holdup? We have got some new engineers. Some people are being trained, but no one's getting paid. So there's got to be something else. I can't even guess what it is, and yet I'm close to the center. You know, Michael, and the thing is, is, if I could do anything in terms of writing, I wrote, as you say, 20 years ago, I alerted you to it, and I just kept writing and writing and writing. The last thing I looked at, you know, in 2014, the whole thing that uh, I suddenly realized the number of people who were backlogged. And it wasn't that I gave up. It was just the point was I just kept hitting a brick wall. So I'm very pleased you've taken this up. And if anyone does, I mean, I'd be quite happy to play the role, that the only role I can play, and that is to, to try and give publicity to whatever is going on. There's a voice note. Let's just play it. All right. We were trying to play a voice note that had come through, but let's take those calls. As I said, I will take those calls. Litlokonolo, you are calling us with, with your experience. Hi, Litlokonolo. Good afternoon, and your guest. You know, Good afternoon. That, can you hear me? I can certainly hear you. Okay. You see, that department that you're discussing today, it's such a pity that, as a, I'm calling as, a, as, as an employer that has been struggling for the past um, nine months to get our assessment redone. As a result, we don't have a letter of good standing. I've gone to that office in Pretoria more than seven times. We made payment arrangements. We've got potential investor in the mining sector that could have planned, um, injected some cash, wherein we could have employed around 120 people. But because of sheer incompetence on, in that department, we today have got potentially 120 people that, I mean, are, are staying outside without, I mean, employment. Now, the, the query of that department not paying people their claims is not new. And if, it's not been, if, it, if it doesn't get arrested now, I, will, I can tell you now we will have workforce that will one day blame us as employers because they don't know better. But the sad part is no one is there to, 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 to be accountable on behalf of government. But I'm just calling just to say I sympathize with our employees but our hands are, I mean, are tied so much that they even tell you that we, we, we can close your company without, you know, without any hesitation. Because theirs is just to collect money, nothing else. Sure. Thank you very much for that. We'll take those calls. I do see you, 891 We'll also be back with my guests. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, we're discussing the Empowerment Fund, and my guest this afternoon are Michael Backram, who is a Labour lawyer, also a DAMP, a Terry Bell Labour analyst as well. We're discussing what exactly is going on there. Uh, it's horrific what we're hearing. We thought that the problem had only started in September when there was complete non-payment uh, that was happening there. But it turns out this has been going on for a very long time. Uh, we've also been hearing from people, Lutokonolo uh, now just said, I'm an employer, and this is has just become a big, big problem for us. I will take those calls. 0891-104-207. Patrick, you're in Cape Town. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, thanks I for just, calling. A pleasure. I just want to thank these two gentlemen for the efforts they're making and they have been making over many years. But, you know, we could have the same discussion about most government departments. The difference, though, Patrick, don't you find that, I mean, for me, the alarm is there is money with this one. It's unlike yeah, some but, of them. This one has money. money. There is money very often in other departments as well. But it just doesn't get to where it should be. It doesn't get done. It doesn't get used to, to, for, for the purpose for which it's intended. And that, to me, is, is simply a result of a general lack of uh, any feeling of responsibility Patrick, Amongst thanks. the people who are supposed to be doing the job. Yeah, thanks there, Patrick in Cape Town. All right, so um, while Patrick is, is, is on the line there, I also have another SMS that came through. This is interesting, and this I want your honest answer, Michael, and as well as you, Terry. Someone says, well, both your guests are white. No wonder no one's listening. What's your take on that? No, I don't, I don't think that's, <laughs> that's entirely fair because, in fact, people are listening, and like I said, when I speak to Mr. Mafata directly, he has been fantastic. He's sorted out every single case. Now, 
I, I speak to him, okay, every day, and I normally send at least one or two cases a week, and they do get sorted out. So that's not the issue. It's not a white or black issue. The issue is when it filters down, because Mr. Mafata is one man, and he's supposed to be directing everyone else. He's the commissioner. And so somewhere down the line, there's a blockage, which is just not happening. What I found very interesting was the caller who phoned in who was an employer, and he's not getting his certificate out of the department. Now, I've heard that from hundreds of employers, and what that means is business comes to a standstill because they can't get contracts, they can't get, they can't employ people, they can't get their certificates out. Now, that's not even a computer system. That means someone officially has to look at the application, has to look at the payment, and has to issue a certificate of good standing. That's a person. That's not a computer. And somehow no one's getting back to him. He said he's been in, I think he said seven times or something, yeah. into the personally. Can you imagine the frustration a man is trying to run a small business? He's not a multimillionaire. He wants to employ people, and that's what we're so desperate for, in fact, in this country. We're desperate for employers like him. Uh, he needs to get a, a, a crown that he wants to employ 120 people. We should treat him with kit gloves. And yet he's being treated so badly that he won't even get a certificate out of the department. I think that's horrific. It's a shame. And the director general should hang his head in shame that a man like that had to phone in and say, I've been seven times and I haven't got my certificate. I mean, that makes me angry. I'm sitting over here shaking with anger when I hear that because everyone that gets employed will then look after 10 people. So you can imagine now you multiply that 120 he was going to employ by 10 and we've got a, almost a half a village that would have been employed or at least being able to eat something. Anonymous, it's, it's let's, take, let's take your call, Anonymous. You're calling us from KZN. Good afternoon. You, uh, good afternoon to you and your guests as well. Mm-hmm. Although it's not the pension fund I'm referring to, but it's a department like a surplus fund. Uh, it's similar to the pension fund. Um, similar to that UIF. Uh, I'm waiting for my, my surplus fund for 35 years. And they refused to uh, acknowledge receipt of my four letters that were sent to them. Rather, they sent me a statement stating that you have to take what we give you, take it or leave it. They did, uh, refused to acknowledge receipt of my complaint on my on my on the relevant documents that were submitted to them. And uh, it's a surplus fund department in in Johannesburg, Harding. Thanks very much. For Thank that. you. Thanks very Bye. much for that. I mean, it's quite shocking. The stories that we're hearing, it sounds bigger than we actually anticipated the story to be. Michael, so you've asked for meetings with the minister. You've asked for meetings with the DG. What do you think is going to come of those meetings? You've met many, I'm sure. Yeah, I I have. And there will be a meeting because I'm quite persistent. Um, I will grab the minister. I'm, I'm at every single portfolio meeting of the Employment and Labor. The minister does come, unlike his predecessor that I only saw twice in five years. I've seen the minister a good dozen times now in four months. So uh, this this is a more functional minister, maybe not as responsive, but more functional. And he knows that I'm going to be on his back because as soon as he pitches up at the portfolio meetings, I'm there standing behind his chair. So I've become a little bit of a hunchback uh, for him. So th- this is going to happen. Um, I wouldn't hold my breath because the minister has promised me most sincerely uh, my office will get hold of you within a week. That was four months ago. Um, but, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't throttle him. Um, I have to keep nagging. Yeah. Uh, we do have a democratic system. I can't do more than what I am doing from that level. Yeah. Michael, let me um, just take a quick call. Uh, Mlajwa, you're, call, Mlajwa, you're calling us from Joburg. Hi. Yes, Pamela. Uh, I'm also an employer. Yes. You know, we got a really problem about uh, that people, that department. Uh, we can't get our letters. I just support the statement of yes. the Sonolo. Because yes. it has been, uh, I think, three years now. I don't get that state of good standing. I'm struggling. And the thing that I'm aware of, uh, just to make, uh, to give us our time, there are agents, actually, who are doing that, that, that certificate from the department. So we people, as we do it from outside, so we got difficult to get through to the, to do it to get it. That's why we cannot actually help our to do, do our our complete job with people who, who are employed. You understand? Right? I do understand what you're saying. Thank you so yes, much for so that if, call. If that, if that department they can just try to fix that code. You can't do anything online. You have to drive straight to Pretoria. 
there to their offices, you park your car about 12 o'clock in the, in, in the morning, you sit in a car, so that when they open the morning, you can go through and that we can do application. You can't go through, you spend the whole day there up until you come back from so far. You know? Lotcha, thank you so much for that. This is really giving us that time, so we can't get contracts, we can't get, we can't work with people because there's no, there's nobody who can hire you if you don't have anything to prove that you are a qualified employer. This is amazing. This is, this is absolutely absurd. Terry, your final words? Well, my final words, I, while I was talking, I looked at my computer and quickly did a search and, and just put compensation. And the first thing that popped up was something I wrote in 2014, which referred to a case being taken to court by the Labor Resources Centre for the workman's compensation. And it concerned three people. One was a Cape Town widow whose husband fell to death the local shipyards in 1994. Then there's Pretoria Baker's delivery man, who's now paraplegic after being shot four years ago while delivering bread. And an Eastern Cape engineering worker four years ago lost a hand. All of them, I said, have two things in common. They were killed or injured at work, and none of them have received any compensation. They eventually did, but I mean, it took us that to take it to court at that case. So it's been going on ever since then, as Michael said, I first wrote about it 20 years ago, and it's still going on. Something has to be done. Terry Bell, Labour Analyst. Your final words are Michael? Yeah, just to say that this, if this is how our government, our wonderful South African society get treated by our government, then they need to somehow either say, listen, we can't do this, let someone else do it. They also seem to be not caring for the most vulnerable in our society. And that is the very essence of any society, is how do we look after our sick? And we can't. Michael Backram, thank you very much for your time as well this afternoon. Labour lawyer, also DAMP, and what we're discussing, the Empowerment Fund, it sounds like it is just a complete, I mean, it's at a standstill. And and when you listen to the calls coming through of employers saying that we are about to shut our doors because of this lack of competence, it just makes you want to weep, doesn't it? Please stay tuned and uh, do not leave this particular station. It is SAFM. Mas Chabamdolo is going to be with you from 3 to 6. I do want to thank you for tuning in today. Let's do this again tomorrow, 1 to 3. Uh, let's go now to Utsi Lesaku for the latest in news. It's 3 o'clock.